Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. and there will be no encore. It's Tuesday evening. We're recording a couple of days early due to scheduling conflicts and we're back in the studio. I guess after the quiz, we just couldn't stay away. Um, interesting feedback on the quiz. Uh, I should note, I should mm-hmm. jump in at this juncture and say, because I think Nyler, I, I think poor Nyler was kept up at night for this because he sent me a message at like half 12, I think it was on Sunday night maybe? I was on the 7 a.m. shift and I was like, hello. Um, he basically was saying that like, wait a minute, it's not... Like you got you got seventeen, he got fifteen, I think. Spoiler he, alert for people who haven't listened oh, yes. to the episode. Fuck, yet. Sorry. Well they should have listened to it by now. <laughs> it's a week on, Craig. It is a week on. But the on. point is it was I was like out of sixty, but technically it wasn't out of sixty, was it? Because it was one question per person. But there was many instances of it being passed over to someone. Yeah. So we can't put a gauge on it. So how about you got seventeen out of forty five? You know? Just a rough Yeah. You weren't asked sixty questions in total, so therefore yeah, that's that's but I feel like this is Semantics. semantics, yeah, yeah, yeah. But whatever the numerical version of semantics is. I don't know. Uh, I did have people message me over the weekend being like, I am fucking smashing these lads out of it. I am I'm wiping the floor with it these happens boys. every time, yeah. Once you get on the mic, you step <laughs> up to the real big leagues. Yeah. It's a very different perspective, my That's, friends. It's true. Very, also, very different indeed. The other universal thing that occurred off the back of the smashing quiz was the smashing the lads out. Who, who was it? <laughs> I can't say. I joke. I love but you I might, all. Congratulations. I'm, 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 I might check in with, with, with some of these people and be like, well, why don't you step up? Yeah, at this stage. Like, the next one. Um, however, universal praise for Adam's intro. Fantastic. Yeah. Which yeah. was tremendous. Let's be fair. It was very good. Um, I've I've listened to it since just isolated because he sent it to us prior to it. No, no, like, I li- I've listened to the episode and yeah. loved it. Some particular moments are great, but just the intro, like mm-hmm. I'll just be like, mm-hmm. I need to hear that music. <laughs> 
Oh, it's, it's it really, become my new alarm yeah, clock music. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It just really jeezy up. Yeah, it's very life affirming. I will say, I did find myself on Friday in a state of exhaustion. Um, after you know, we had, we we had some nice pints after. Yeah, you joined Craig, me on my victory lap, essentially. Craig and I, yeah, we did, we did. Miler <laughs> for for a time. Miler was there for a bit, evening. and then Craig and I ended up in uh, the silent disco in Wheelands. And Craig, oh, it was amazing. Adam. Very odd. Craig, Craig was Craig was just constantly looking around, being like, "What have they done to my beloved Wheelands?" The commercialization of Wheelands, where. <laughs> There was two channels, wasn't there, for the tunes, I think, but one of them you was playing... set of playing, headphones, yeah, yeah. There was Westlife being played in a silent disco in Whelan's. Yeah, but then there was indie rock on the other one. <sighs> um, and there was, was tunes and tunes. And Because yeah, every now and then you'd have a weird thing where there'd be one, one corner of the room, like, screaming Mr. Brightside, another corner screaming, like, you know, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> Fine Without Wings, maybe, possibly. But it was grand. Uh, hangover wasn't fun on the Friday, but it was earned. And then I had a really, really, really horrible day at work. And you messaged then, me saying you were listening to Baby Shambles <laughs> Fuck Forever. And, and I was like, <laughs> I said, hang I come yeah. over? What is happening? Hangover level, Baby Shambles Fuck Forever, and I'm not hating it. Um, yeah, tough day. Ended up doing RT Arena that night. And by the time I got home, I was just fit to fit to collapse for, for several weeks. But unfortunately, it was only Stick two on, days. Stick on Down in Albion, the debut album for <laughs> no, Baby Shambles. But I was going to say, I found myself walking around town listening to the episode, the quiz episode. And I did say, and like you know, it sounds egotistical, but like I, I kept rewinding the uh, the Degrassi, Degrassi section. Degrassi. Oh yeah, I couldn't stop laughing. The, the Degrassi, the Next Generation section. Sorry, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. Uh, yeah. Spoilers again for the quiz, but I was howling <laughs> with laughter, and also your prowess with the U two studio album question, of oh, course, very which proud was of that moment. Pretty incredible. Um, pretty it was, incredible. It was both, I think, kind of impressive, but also vaguely pathetic because you could literally hear me going. Oh shit! I, I'm gonna lose this quiz. <laughs> I'm not just gonna guess. I'm gonna work through this for like an hour. <laughs> well, that's the last place we should leave the quiz. Yeah. Apart from saying, "Hey, listener, I hope you really enjoyed it." Yes. And um, you know, let us know. Should we do more? Because they are fun to do. Couldn't great, do it great. every week. And thanks though. again to Nyler. He was he was tremendous. Nyler was great. He was excellent company. Um, you'd expect that from the culture ambassador for Dublin. Yes. Um, but I guess before we move on, Craig, how do you feel? Do you feel like Eric Ten Hag, reborn, re- revitalized, new, fresh? Um, great season ahead. Yeah, yeah, and much like Ten Hag, of course, I've just you know my history is is winning. Of course, you know I wasn't yeah. caught up in the, um, the maelstrom that was Manchester United prior to Ten Hag. Um, so and neither was he. So we've both got a clean record of victories, winning, um, charisma. What else? Spending a hundred million on a new player. Anthony, very excited for the season ahead. Very excited, <laughs> excited for the quizzes to come, and yeah. Challenge me, dear listener. Do okay. you think you're... Come and have a go if you think you're hard, hard enough, enough, says Craig Fitzpatrick. You don't have to be hard. You can be uh, should also know as well, listener, um, by all means, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, where would be best these days? Instagram, maybe. At Hand Ready Dave. At No Encore Show, of course, on Instagram. Get us there. But, like, by all means, if you've got an idea for a round for a quiz that maybe I haven't thought of, because I do try to be innovative. Yeah. Um, and there, there was a couple of rounds that didn't make the cut. I, w- I won't do the new metal round again, I promise. I was going to say, <laughs> all your innovative fucking ones that fell by the wayside when you thought, no, nah, I think I'll, I'll go for the all new metal. I was up against it. Smackdown, <laughs> Craig. Yeah, yeah, no, in fairness, Smackdown. it was topical with the whole Woodstock thing. There you I go. Suppose. Thank you. you know, yes, I didn't even think of that. Point. Um, but yeah, it's also um, no, uh, no before the encore uh, for this month because Adam was in Greece yes. for three weeks, living the life of a... Rustic King, I don't know. Vagabond. Vagabond. Um, young Leonard Cohen, didn't he island top for, for a time? A little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, but that'll be coming back as well. Also, it's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to support the show. Um, you know, cost of living crisis is coming into effect, so honestly, you know, 
look after your electricity bills first and such. Oh yeah, prioritize. You know, prioritize. Yeah. But if you love the show and you want to, you know, support us via financial means. Sorry, I, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm in that mood, aren't I? So, um, it's a Tuesday. I'm just exhausted, Craig, and uh, we can talk about why because we can get into the the news section. Adam, let's have, let's have the news. <laughs> about the good news patreon.com slash no encore just to <laughs> no, so right let's talk about the news uh we're starting with the fucking grim story yeah, unfortunately sting just there it was <laughs> heard about the good news yeah, um, bad news arcade fire, um, arcade fire so we got about arcade fire so we are recording this on tuesday night uh mm-hmm. as it stands it's uh what time is it it's three minutes to 7 p.m arcade fire will be oh no it's two minutes doors to 7 are open yeah they will be playing in the Three Arena and uh, kicking off their tour uh, two nights in Three Arena. I was going to go on the Wednesday. I'm not going now. Um, I expect everyone listening is aware, but let's get into it quickly. Um, I guess trigger warning for some grim content. We're not going to get too deep into it, but just to give you the headline, really, I suppose. Wynn Butler, the frontman of Arcade Fire, uh, was accused of sexual misconduct um, in a lengthy report published by Pitchfork magazine on Saturday evening, just gone. Mm. Uh, three women and I believe one individual who identifies as gender fluid came forward and accused him of having inappropriate sexual relationships with them between the ages of 18 and 23 when he was 36 39 kind of time the gender fluid individual was 21 when bullet was 34 um essentially like you know pitchfork had this very clearly worked on for quite some time yeah um it's a very long article that i read in full hungover on sunday morning um and it's very damning it's not great uh it's obviously clear and like he's copped to a lot of it um you know yeah i think his statement felt almost as damning in certain ways which went through they hired a pr crisis person i believe because it sounds almost like he just kind of went for it but no because there was an element of like well can i provide you a list of women who i have had successful consensual relationships with and yeah, they were like just no. an odd, essentially odd not to get into the weeds of it too much the pitchfork article is up if you want to go read it if you haven't already and various websites will have summarized it uh, very bad behavior um, he's copped to most of it I mean he said essentially like you know well I dispute that version of events and you know this one over here and you know and look, look two things can simultaneously be true in some situations the more innocuous ones of like you know she was flirting with me all night and the person saying no he wasn't I mean two different people can believe two different things on that wavelength but what is clear by his own admission in certain cases is that he definitely crossed the line um, with lots of different people Um However, I mean, it's kind of strange because, like, the statement is quite self-aggrandizing in its way. There's a statement from his wife and bandmate, Regine, who yeah. basically says... It's another dynamic. There's a quote in there where she says, uh, he lost his way and he found his way again. It appears they had an open relationship, so she was aware of all this, I suppose. But um, there's no real... It's it's very ugly. Like, like there is really, really um, <clears throat> upsetting details in, 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 in this in, in, in this report. Um... And so we find ourselves in a strange situation where they're going on tour in Dublin tonight. And also, um, yeah, this like, the, how do I even transition to this without sending... Well, the, the timing of this, um, yeah. obviously Pitchfork, as you said, had done a lot of preparation on this. Um, I'm guessing it was no coincidence that on the eve of the tour kicking off, the, you know, for to reach the most amount of eyeballs and kind of have maximum oh, impact definitely. was released yeah. then, um, yeah. which would mean it would also coincide with a lot of press the band themselves have been doing, including... You having just chatted to Win uh, yep. two weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, but literally just published as well. Fifteenth um, of August, I spoke. I spoke to Win Butler on the fifteenth of August. I looked it up there today. Yeah. I had an interview with him on Zoom. I was offered an interview with him uh, the previous Friday. Um, the PR got in touch and was like, 
can we do a ticket giveaway? Because, I mean, I don't think that they said it out loud, but, like, quite clear that night two needed some help yeah. in three arena. I mean, the first night is sold out to my knowledge. Second night, Wednesday, clearly needed a push. I don't know what the sales are like. Could be bad. If they're doing fucking promo for it, probably not great. So... You know, and it's one of those weird things where, like, you know, jaded as I am and stressed as I have been, that I was kind of like, ah, whatever, I don't know if I want to fucking do that. Who's it with? And they were like, Win Butler, 20 minutes over Zoom. I was like, oh, that could be good. I haven't done an interview in a while. Let's do it. So yeah, I did interesting. it. interesting. And I, I tailored my questions to be, like, for video cutdowns, because that's kind of what the focus is on these days over in the job that I have at the moment. And I cleared it with PR, can we use video? Even if it comes out of a Zoom, we'll try and isolate him and make it look good, yada, yada, yada. And then at the last minute, they literally were like, no, you can't use video. By that point, I was already doing the interview. Now, I should say, and this is in no way to try and do some kind of weird Shia LaBeouf redemption angle here, just to tell you the truth of my experience with my interview with the guy over Zoom, he was sound. It was a good interview. Yeah. I asked some fairly generic Irishy questions, like talk about the fucking picnic gig and Bono, but, but like they were all, they were relevant in a way. Bono! We actually spent the <laughs> yeah. first 10 minutes talking about movies and stuff, and I was like, I'm not going to use any of this, but like, whatever. And like, it was grand. Like, I mean, it wasn't the best interview I've ever done, but it was fine. And, you know, even going back to it and transcribing it, I was like, oh, these are good answers. Like, he's, you know, he's rambling a bit and you know he's got an ego but you hear all these stories about oh he's a bit of a prick um, not in the way that we yeah. are reading now but like I have got myself a, a lot of times um, just talking about past interviews and stuff and being like actually person was you know very funny and extremely generous that kind of limmy thing of like and then you kind of stop yourself and go well they're talking to a journalist for something that they know is going to be put out it's promo yeah it's called promo it's um, promotion I mean like that's the point I mean it would be unusual perhaps you know, the, like it, it, when those instances happen where someone actually is shite and a bit of a prick, they make headlines more than, say, generic Interview 17 that we've all done. Um, it behooves them to be charming, um, even though he did wear his sunglasses for the entire thing and I could see myself reflected in them, which was very uh, distracting. But yeah. <laughs> whatever, I thought it was grand. I wrote a piece. I was only going to do a quick one, uh, but I ended up doing like a longer version, published it last Thursday. But I was I, my plan was to just like put it out on social media on the Saturday and so I put up a tweet and an Instagram story simultaneously on like Saturday morning. And I said, in one of them, I said he was pretty cool. And another one I went, enjoy chatting to. Mm. And I did enjoy chatting to him. And he was pretty cool. But of course, smash cut to half eight that night. I'm out uh, in Dublin having drinks with my friends outside a bar. And then that comes through. So the first thing I did was I deleted my tweet and I deleted my Instagram story because why would you want to be associated with this? Yeah. And yeah, look, it's not about me. At all, I'm just offering my. All I'm doing here is offering my own perspective in terms of weird timing. It's a weird one, yeah. Um, and like you know, it, who gives a fuck? Like oh, I wrote an article, but no big deal, no skin off my nose. It's just my job. It's fine. Like it's it's in quote unquote annoying in some respect because you're like, oh, I actually liked how the piece turned out, but that doesn't fucking matter at all. Please don't misconstrue. Well, it, it is the kind of the his victims are the important people here, know, of quote course. Quote unquote mundane, or the more sorry, the more everyday, like less consequential in the grand scheme of things stuff that does ripple through all of this like just even today myself in the office a colleague of mine came up like in a panic having just been on the phone someone else and like they casually mentioned the Win Butler story and he's like I'm going to that show tonight what's the thing and he did some googling and he was just like I've had these these were expensive tickets and I've just been I believe, on yeah. with my wife and we're like are we going to go we're probably not going to go what the hell or do you, like yeah so and again and again, a lot of also like also like again yeah. journalist privilege because I was like I was very much I'm like I'm working the late shift tomorrow but I kind of got off an hour early because I actually was like you know what I kind of want to go I've never seen them live actually mm. I don't think and maybe it'll be good I didn't love the most recent album and I thought everything now sucked but like you know live is where it's at and I'm kind of up for it now 
now. And then, of course, this news happens and I'm not going because I just, this isn't, again, this isn't like, oh, well done, Dave. Just doesn't feel right. You know, yeah, but again, but I'm, but I'm saying like, you know, I was able to like nab the guest list. But yes, there are people out there who spent 80 fucking euro on a gig that they've probably been waiting for for a long time. Yeah. Then this happens. And yeah, of course, as well. There are also people who simply do not know. Like, for example, it's worth looking at Twitter, Arcade Fire Dublin on Twitter, because I was doing that earlier before we sat down here. And uh, quite the quite the interesting reaction, because I mean, like a lot of people are trying to shift their tickets. A lot of people are saying like, you know, I'm not going to go. Why is this gig going on? The gigs are going on. You have to imagine at this stage, insurance is playing a big part of this or like money or like, you know, it's too late to pull it. Um, what's it going to be like? I mean, like, is he going to make a speech about any of this? Is he just going to get up and be like, hello, Dublin? God, like, that's kind of fucked imagine. up. Playing wake up. I mean, how's that going to work? Also, um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't want to get into specifics of these things. Go read the article. But like... It's, I've seen worse, but it's pretty bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's no, there's no barometer here. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say apart from it's bad. It's very bad. He's clearly a fucking creep. I well, mean, it's like. Some, it's something that particularly for um, the Arcade Fire audience and yeah. their, their kind of conception of the band and it being more than just like some nice tunes for most people where it becomes a thing of like, actually their message throughout their I saw a tweet today from someone who said that they're a sexual assault survivor who got Arcade Fire lyrics tattooed in relation to this. Yeah, and they've always been about a sense of kind of community and the shows have been, you know, positivity and togetherness and a lot of lyrics about fucking, you know, the kids and, you know, the struggle and all that kind of stuff. And then you're like, this guy is just roaming around Montreal being a bit of a... Yeah, um, yeah. What do you think, though, like, totally separate issue here and, like, something I kind of thought of and, like, I don't know, maybe my brain's running away with me, but, like, I find, there's, a, there's a strange disconnect for me when I see people on Twitter who are, like, I'm not going, for, of course, like, but my tickets are for sale. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I kind of think you just take the the hit there, right? I mean, like, this thing of, like, I can't support these monsters, but let's make sure that the money still. Oh well, I certainly, I certainly, yeah, would just be like, oh, well, are you judging the yeah, person that's buying those tickets, the, the just ticket off you? I mean, like, like, well, like, I mean, the money from the sale isn't going to the bands. The tickets have been sold, so the right. band already has the money. So it's it's just you recouping losses, probably from someone. If you took that stance and thought, well, if I'm selling them to someone that has less moral objections, to this, um, I'll take their money. Fair, it's just yeah. still going to be a show. Maybe. It's probably just, it's more pragmatic than I would be, but I don't really see anything wrong with it. And it's all, we've had this discussion before about um, what happens online when an artist is not even quote unquote cancelled, but just when there's revelations about the personal life uh, that sit awkwardly uh, with their image or, you know, the moral compass of the fan base. There can be this thing of like an outpouring of like, well, they were always terrible. Like, I'm oh, using yeah. this video. And there's a weird shaming of a fan base that yeah, occasionally yeah. happens where it's just like, you're just a fan of some art that was created. You don't know, know these people. You shouldn't feel any shame for having supported them. It's, you know. And I did say to someone yesterday that like, it was kind of a, a gut reaction decision of like, well, I guess I'm not going to that gig now. And I was like, but I'll be honest with you, it's easier because I don't love Arcade Fire. Yeah. I love. I think the first two albums are great. And I think that there's some good stuff beyond that point. And I'd like to see them live because I'd like to see, oh, like I, I genuinely think it would be a quote unquote good show, although I don't know how it'd be now. But like, if it was Nine Inch Nails, Dillinger's Escape Plan, Converge, Slipknot, obviously I'm a lot more conflicted. It's a lot easier for me to walk away. But there are people out there for whom this is their favorite band. 
yeah. has always been their favourite band. And sadly, in recent years, we've had lots of examples of us having to grapple with these kind of various things. Probably just going to keep new, having Ryan them. Adams, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the brand new one was like a personal one for me, for sure. Yeah. And like, they were supposed to play Dublin like days later before th- those stories came out. And again, I remember me and my friend being like, well, we can't go. And this isn't like a moral high ground thing. It's just like, it just doesn't feel right you wouldn't anymore. Do it, yeah. No, like, like it's, there is a journalist curiosity. I do want to know what happens down there tonight. I do want to know what he says, if anything. I do want to know what the crowd is like. I wish there was a way of knowing who isn't going, what the drop-off is, you know, from, yeah. from a journalistic point of view or whatever, you know, word I want to use here to justify my curiosity there. But it, it, the, the, what it comes down to is that it absolutely sucks and that, unfortunately, it's yet another example of somebody abusing their power dynamics and just being horribly insensitive. Because even, like, in one situation, like, you know, like not, again, not, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but, like, you know, he's like, I Googled her and I knew she was 18. Well, you should also know... That's what I'm saying about his defense was as damn terrible. as anything because it's, you know, that's him putting his best, you know, little paint on it. <laughs> not you good, know? no. I mean, like, um, I, like, did you read the Pitchfork article in full? I did, yeah. What did you I think of, it. just like from a, from an editorial perspective here? Because, like, I did see some people kind of pushing against this and I did think it was interesting. I saw some people kind of saying that there, it was almost written with a sense of, not glee, but aren't, you know, we're quite proud of ourselves. Look what we've done. And yes, quite not, not journalistic enough there's a bit of that and, and I kind of went back on, on a re-read maybe but I think that was maybe being harsh I mean there was some um, good reporting little, I think there's a little bit of it but yeah. also you are presenting a thing here but it was more that in the sense that especially in the first few paragraphs there was a level of you know and their they're socially conscious lyrics and their blah 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 like does that matter? I know what they're going for and it's kind of to the point we were just making about you know how it impacts the fan base maybe in a way that a more disposable act or an act that is less or is, is more kind of faceless and not as upfront with their values, it might affect the more or affect your enjoyment of the art more. So I, maybe they're just putting into context how big a kind of public reaction this will have. But doing it in the same article as, you know, doing some serious reporting about things that are actually could be potentially verging on, you know, criminal is maybe not the at the moment to speak to that. I don't know. It's it's a really tough one. I will say as well, I had a few um, people like, oh, there's nothing better, by the way, than people messaging you who usually don't message you being like, oh, tough break, man, on that article, yeah. And I'm not referring to everybody because I know there are people listening to the show right now who might be thinking I'm talking about you. I'm not. Um, but, it's, uh, but I'm just like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> like, well, yeah, it sucks. I didn't know. Yeah. Remember, I, I interviewed Ian Watkins from Lost Profits before, by the way, six months before you went down. And I remember somebody going, did you know? Did I know? <laughs> From your 20 minutes in did the I library bar. Did I fucking know? No, he, he was, was an asshole. He was asleep for half of yeah, it, Yeah, he was an he? absolute prick, but like, no, I did not know what... From the, the set quickie questions you that had he was That he was a monster. Yeah. I mean, like, because this is... I, I thought about this, and I think about this every time something like this happens, especially when you have this kind of, like, thing. Because, like, that, art, that, that, web, that article I wrote was still on, still on the Joe website. My editor was like, no, leave it up. I was like, okay. And he wasn't being malicious. He was just like, these things happen. It predates it. He's like, yeah. you, don't, you don't recall a newspaper, like, a month later, like, this is just the way of... The, like, do you go back and delete every article that was written at a certain time like you have to give people the benefit of the doubt when you're speaking to them course, now, yeah. although I have heard since though I've, people have, have been like uh, open secret for years guy's a creep like um, that could be true I genuinely didn't hear about that I, you know, I've well, uh, yeah, no, it's heard that the, about other musicians now that I'm like really him okay I don't know I mean, the, I mean that seemed to be amongst kind of Montreal yeah, scene people like, yeah, yeah. You, you might actually see him out and about and bar, like we would sure, have access sure, to him sure. and info. I'm not trust me this is no way me looking to defend the guy I think his actions by the sounds of things are pretty indefensible. What do you think about the gigs going ahead? Um, in terms of should they go ahead or will they go ahead? Well, they clearly are going ahead tonight. Well, um, I guess tonight will be a bell, like, listener um, will have a 
greater insight because you know this will be kind of slightly older news. But yeah. um, I, yeah, depending on how tonight Tuesday. goes, it'll it'll obviously have an effect on the rest of the tour. This is only going to gather momentum, I would assume. You know, as, as kind of other news outlets pick up on it and it kind of moves across Europe with the tour, kind I of think keeping go- them relevant. I, I think they're going to break up. It's such a yeah. I mean. Just today, having conversations about it, I mean, we when we were talking about the album announcement initially and we're kind of having fun with his grandiose statement about, I've been, you know, I'm very influenced by Martin Luther King on this album and this typical kind of stuff. And we're saying, this is a bit weird that like he's he's not, he's coming out with this very grandiose statement about the album when his brothers just left the band and there was zero fanfare about that. Lots of that, by the way, confusion about that. People have been like, I thought he left the band. And I'm like, this is what happens when your name is that similar. <laughs> <laughs> like it yeah. wasn't him no parents everywhere maybe <laughs> put some breeding room between the names um, yeah so you do you do start raking over recent history and being like well was there something in his kind of quiet exit you know I, do, I don't know that's revisionist we're though. reading into yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. Um, so or is revisionist even the right word but yeah it's that thing of like you know you're applying a a new lens to a thing that yeah but like I mean, everything suddenly becomes if, a red know, flag a major, or a smoking a major gun major or... member for so long has recently left so if we're looking for hints of like whether this will be a complete fissure of the band I mean Regine in that circumstance of being his his partner in life and also this kind of essentially brand like corporation <laughs> like their their team is currently I think as we speak moderating and deleting Instagram comments oh really so it's just like we're fresh off the back of like two albums talking about how soulless and corporate the world is becoming and they're going ahead with their massive arena shows and deleting people's outrage it's just it's kind of an awful grim irony to everything but yeah I can't imagine what position she's in because her life is so wrapped up in in his and the rest of the band, I mean, if you don't know anything about what's been going on, that's your kind of livelihood. It's just, it affects so many people. There's, yeah. it's, it's a mess. Morally, yeah. is it fucked up that these gigs are going ahead? On who? Uh, like in, in general. I mean, like, because again, you, you got to think about it, like big band, crew, support acts, etc. Like promoters, yada, yada. Can you just pull I it? I think le- legally people might be, it might have devastated. I don't know. There are also people who don't care. Like, let's be honest here. There are people going to that gigs who know and don't care. Oh or, yeah, or won't know until tomorrow. <laughs> like you know, it's it's not it's an imperfect thing. It involves too many people to make a judgment on it morally because it's you're coming at it from so many different angles. It's just a mess, and I'm not going to be the person that questions the morality of the music industry, Dave. Okay, <laughs> I did put you on the spot there. Well, yeah. let me ask you one last question, Mister okay. Mister Morality. Um, <laughs> I feel <laughs> I feel like you're maybe a bigger fan of Arcade Fire than me. Long term, uh, will you still listen to them? Are you at that point? Well, I was already at a point where I've kind of... Um, Dropped off. After, yeah, because yeah. of the last couple of records. That we, we, you know... Hey, you're doing that thing. You're doing that thing. I was uh, never a fan. No, I'm joking. No, no, I'm no. I, 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 think, I think the first album is an absolute masterpiece. I think the second one's right up there. I think they've written some tremendous music and they've been a power, powerful, powerful force. Um, but when we reviewed not only the last record, but the previous one, we did have that discussion of like... The quality quality is at a state where it's making you reconsider the older kind of material or look at it through a different lens. So I was I'm already at a place where I wouldn't go back to Arcade Fire, and I would have assumed there would be a period in my life where I'll I'll be like I really need to listen to Funeral. Maybe that will happen. It's probably just marginally less likely now. But if I do, if I am overcome by a need to stick on tunnels or something like that. I'm not going to judge myself for it because it's. I will try and make that remove. I don't know if I can because of his kind of voice and what he represented, but that's, you know, each individual's call, I guess. 
Hey, I appreciate the honesty, man. Um, and yeah, it was it was fucked up. A car crash took place across the road from where a I was. A literal one, yeah. Like about On two hours Saturday. after, two, three hours after the Wimbledon news broke. Literally happened across the street from the bar that me and my friends were standing at. And uh, I went to, I, I was at the bathroom slash bar at the time and missed it somehow. And it was insane. I was like, what's, what's happening tonight? End of the world. <laughs> Crazy stuff. And now... Uh, in a bid to change the tone and make things a bit lighter, Craig Fitzpatrick is here with uh, an MTV VMAs report. Oh yeah, there was an altogether more wholesome um, happening taking place elsewhere in the music industry. Um, do you like my headline, Dave? MTV Awards Roundup. VMAs or VM? Nay. That's really good. It's That's really good. You went above and beyond. I'm Thanks. very proud of you. Um, so I went above and beyond with the headline, but I will say that um, as you look at our running order, this is cribbed from Times piece <laughs> because they put together a quite editorialized um, like best use of Twitter, worst comeback, all that kind of stuff. So okay. as we run through the highlights, um, bear in mind this: uh, some of these opinions are the opinions of Moises Mendez II, which is a tremendous name. So fair play to him. Uh, but yeah, it took place um, New Jersey on Sunday. I was not watching it live. I saw some limited highlights. So, the, oh yeah, this is, um, so I remember going, I was going to bed and like, because of where I work, I follow Variety, I follow The Hollywood Reporter and I follow New York Times. They Variety and, and Hollywood Reporter must be on by the same people, but because they always have the same stories at the same time, but like with slightly different headlines and imagery. But what they all tend to do at the same time, and also people in your timeline anyway will do this as well. It's the red carpet. So I was seeing nothing. Every tweet, like there could have been a sandwich in the middle. It could have been like Michael D. Higgins has been stabbed to death, and I and I wouldn't have a clue because yeah. it was just like it's like here's um, Sidney Sweeney at such and such, or here's whoever. Um, I will say though, before you get into your report here, or rather the report that you're referencing, um. I've it's happened already like it happened a while ago but it may have even happened 10 years ago but never more have I felt like oh fuck I don't know who any of these people oh, are oh yeah going through this I was just yeah, like yeah I'm like I, it's done like like I don't have a grip on pop culture anymore <laughs> yeah and I did some kind of digging and I'm not sure if I even want to I'm sure all of these people are the exact same level of talent and you know personality as back in our day <laughs> when, you know, the VMAs was kind of controversial and interesting, but I just, I don't know if I can with the Is VMAs there a, anymore. Was there a Shane Lynch equivalent or a um, Brian McFadden? There was nothing on that level. Um, there was some dodgy moments for sure. There was some heartwarming moments. There were some corporate moments. Let's talk about it. So it's I think it's probably telling that... Um, Moises Mendez II has led with best use of Twitter being Taylor Swift. So she took video of the year, a video I haven't seen, by the way. I don't know if you have. It's it's for All Too Well. Apparently it's great. Oh, this it's is the 10-minute minute thing yeah. with um, Dylan O'Brien and Sadie Sink, I believe. Yeah, so well-deserved. I haven't seen it. <laughs> you kidding me? Well, she used Twitter really well, apparently, because she, um, as she was accepting the award, she revealed that she would be releasing an album on October 21st. Called Midnight's. Called Midnight's and, you know, talking about it being a collection of music written in the middle of the night and then Twitter erupted into chaos. Oh, of course phrase, did, yeah. Meet Me at Midnight began trending. So, wait a like, minute, wait a minute. Canny operator as ever. Wait a minute, so she didn't she didn't win an award that was best at Twitter. This is the... This is Moises Mendes the second. What was the publication again? Time Magazine. Right, see, I... Cause I cause, because <laughs> I... Publication... Time. Uh, because I scanned your story earlier on and I genuinely thought that 
she won an award at the ceremony for best at Twitter. And I was like, that is Great use of ceremony. That is, well. like, <laughs> um, I was like, that is irresponsible behavior because she is way too fond, as we have discussed numerous know, times, people sicking her, her dogs and, yeah. on, on, on people and not calling them off. That's a bad use of Twitter, I would say. So I can well imagine the VMAs leading the way in terms of these kind of innovative categories, though. Okay. Um, so maybe we'll see that. Um, winning worst comeback according to time, was Johnny Depp. This was one of those stories I saw, like the headline of, and an image, and I was just like, "Oh, what is happening? Didn't they use his image for something? They superposed him on like He was m- projected onto the, the, moon, yeah, man. No, the moon man, like yeah. a life-size thing, and he was like introducing, doing some like transitional introduction stuff. Was it him? Or like a CGI It him? was him. He came out with a statement being like, yeah, I need, like a jokey thing of like, I needed the work, I'm available for bar mitzvahs. And Holy yada, shit, yada, so, yada. The, so MTV have endorsed him. Yeah, essentially, it, it was like it was clearly a move to be like he's back. provocative. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like I'm sure they did it for all of the most cynical reasons. Jesus, and just a very whatever you like, wherever you stand on, like it's such an odd choice. It's so fast of an, as well. It's got it's nothing like, to do with the the ceremony. <laughs> it's just like wow. I mean, like again, ratings. Yeah, has he even played an astronaut? Uh, yeah, well, he's in the film called The Astronaut's Wife, so maybe is he the astronaut? I presume so. Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess uh, so. you haven't seen it. No. Okay. Well, some some homework for the next episode. Dave, watch Johnny only, Depp in the Astronauts. Only, only so many films I can watch. Yeah. Um. Altogether, better winning best LGBT shout out. I mean, again, I d- this was one where I didn't know the person involved. Okay. Should, uh, maybe I should have. Maybe I've heard of them. Dove Cameron. No, Rings and that and was girls. that that was genuinely like oh, that may have been the moment when I was scrolling through my timeline and I saw this photo of Dove Cameron, and I was like. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> Great well, names. Yeah. The best new artist. That was the actual award and dedicating her award to all the queer kids out there, which is great. Tremendous so, yeah. for a play. Um, another really interesting one where I was like, who are these people? Sorry, Johnny Depp does play an astronaut. Adam has confirmed this. Oh, it is called The Astronaut's Wife. You would think, you know. This must be like latter day Depp, right? 99, this, I think. Oh, I think it's Charlie's Theron. I think it's a horror movie. Interesting. Yeah, as far as I'm... 99. 99, yeah. Summertime for Humanity. It's not very good for, uh, by, by what I can tell. Continue. Well, you know, even summer has its rainy days. Um, nice. That's very poetic. Winning most talked about date. <laughs> We're going to talk about this. Is this a real life date? That's very, that was very Jay Leno of you. Um, We're going to talk about this. Was um, C. Richard Keyes <clears throat> referred to Arsenal goalkeeper, or ex-Arsenal goalkeeper, now Fulham goalkeeper, burnt Leno as Jay Leno. He went, and a gift from Jay Leno. Um, ridiculous. Um, hang on. Is this a real life date or a on-screen date? So there's this, oh no, so this is a... Or people who went to the ceremony together. I keep saying ceremony. It's an interesting question. It might be a PR move. In fact, it seems like it most definitely is. It's Young Gravy. You familiar? Nope. So he's a viral rapper. <laughs> he Is there any other kind? Young Gravy. Young, Young Gravy. gravy. He's been around, be he's been around, the names are getting worse. The, he, he's been around for about five years, so he's like, he's got a, I ch- was I wikipedia him today. He's got a degree in marketing because, of course, he does. Bears mainly at Christmas. <laughs> his dad it was clearly well known enough to have his own. Like when his name appears, he's referenced as an insomniac psychologist, okay. which I think means he or psychiatrist, which I think he means he studied insomnia rather than he just had the condition. Right. But like it had his like he passed away a couple of years ago, and I had his like date of birth to when he passed. I'm like, oh, he mustn't be a significant guy, so I don't know how well off he is. But Young Gravy looks like someone that is just finishing up his, like, summer at the Cape. I need to know who... He looks like not a great guy. I need to know who he's on a date with. His... Hold on. His biggest hit at the moment is, um... You're burying the lead here. TikTok propelled. Hold on. We need need this context. (laughs) 
Betty Get Money. Have you heard this? No. It is the worst crap I've ever heard in my life. It uses it, Can we hear it, it? opens with a rickroll. Oh no, no, I don't want to. And then it uses that as the sample throughout the whole thing. It is <laughs> despicable. <laughs> I've heard it. It's so bad. We're I'm not, just big on TikTok. We're, we're not we're not playing it. Uh, Adam Adam is shaking Adam is shaking his head. We are not playing it on the show. So it, reading this story Not even for comic value. No. It's uh, okay. No, 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 no. People Come can on, give us a blast. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, right, fine, go on. <laughs> <laughs> So it's ironic. Oh yeah, everything he does seems to be ironic. Great. I, I liked him more as I read more about him and learned about this story. He looks right? like he's taking the piss out of Jack Harlow, which I would, which I would respect. It's hard. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Very much so. I think he might predate Jack Harlow, not in terms of existence, <laughs> but I think he was around uh, career-wise. Um, is that how we're defining music now? Is it? It's. It's so tough to call. Whether What's your favorite Slipknot album? Well, I mean, it predates Jack Harlow, of course. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. That's the barometer. He's the Jesus Christ of the 21st century music industry. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to know if he's fully being ironic because we do have like established artists like Drake dropping songs like "Way Too Sexy" at this point. Do you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, anyway, getting back to the sexiness of this date. So mm-hmm. I was confused initially because it's been eight minutes since TikToker. you like. <laughs> This is outrageous. TikToker Addison Ray. Oh yeah, I know her. Okay, all right. So I saw this, she was in He's this All bit. That, the She's All yeah, That I saw sequel that as well. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see the film, but I she saw that became was... famous because she dances on TikTok. Yeah, and, she's and it an was a real. And she's a personality, and, and it was she's... a real like Jimmy Fallon being like, "Coming up, we have this fucking twenty-year-old hottie who like dances on TikTok, and she's gonna show me how to dance." Blah 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 blah. And it was like, you know, generic girl next door American chick who they were like, "I guess we better give her a six million dollar contract or something," because yeah. clearly this talent is just unbelievable and. Let's get her in a Netflix movie, and then everyone was like, "Well, this is terrible, and she can't act." Um, <laughs> well, things so. are going well for her, you know, um, creativity aside, because I initially assumed that she was in a relationship with um, Young Gravy, who's also in his twenties. Mm-hmm. But then I looked a bit closer. I read the story, and I was like, "Oh no!" So yeah, so they're dating, but Young Gravy actually went to the VMAs with her mother. Sherry Easterling like there's some kind of cute thing of like oh she wasn't in town so I brought her mom and no no I read on and it turned out that they seem to be something of an item you and Gravy and the Alison mother Alison Ray's mother right, yeah, Sherry yeah. Easterling <laughs> okay uh, I think she's 46 and old, I was like age gap is a bit gravy. maybe 42 maybe I'm I don't know <laughs> Oh, fuck me. Older gravy. She's in her 40s. I'm not far off myself. 38, everyone. I can make that shared joke. shared a kiss on the red carpet. Who have me all? Like, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> you're on a roller. Who among us? And, um... Yeah, so it seems like they are established as an item. Or are they? So I did a <laughs> Great, little bit can of can I just say one thing? Yeah. I don't care. Well, I did... <laughs> I, I swear to God. I did a little bit been... of digging. I did, I did some deep research <laughs> on, glad. on my lunch break this Tuesday. Thank you. And as I sat eating a sandwich, I was like, <laughs> what is really going on here? So... This might cast Young Gravy in a different light. Right? What was So it turns out, Sherry Easterling recently got separated from Addison Rae's dad, right? And it was a very public thing where she's also like kind of an influencer, I think. She's like the mom that's also now in the spotlight. And the dad 
seems like a piece of work, right? <laughs> so the dad, it turned out the dad was cheating on her with this 25-year-old, right? And he's like a despicable kind of guy and he's been running around town. There's all rumors about him, right? Mm-hmm. In bars and stuff. Not great, right? So... Not gravy. Not, not gravy at all. Young or otherwise. Enter young gravy. <laughs> Enter young gravy. Who, apparently his kind of gimmick, I don't know if there's a... Uh, is there a wrestling equivalent of like his kind of shtick or his like his work like his work or his is there a term we could use here where, but I, essentially he talks quite a lot about how he likes the milfs right yeah gimmick yeah this is like, like, central yeah. to his kind of ironic personality what would his finishing move be called well you're about to hear all about his finishing move because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> so uh, he quite publicly the started cascades making cascades down Dave's face <laughs> Um, making kind of advances towards Cherry Easterling, the mother in this scenario, and there's like a bit of back and forth, and it's quite clearly a PR stunt, right? Mm-hmm. But it is sufficiently annoyed the scumbag dad who ran scumbag off. Scumbag now, is he? Enough that, uh, like, okay, sleazebag? No, I don't that's know, fine. he doesn't that's seem fine. great. He has challenged Young Gravy to a boxing match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great, there it is. <laughs> and it's all kicking <sighs> off. Um, I'm just glad that, like, he see, he's kind of, I don't know. He's restored the honour of Sherry Easterling to an agree. I, I hope they end up just... You never know. Romance could properly blossom in these kind of PR relationships. Mm-hmm. Much like um, Kim K and... Okay, we won't talk about that one. But yeah, that was probably the standout story. Unless you want to talk about Eminem and Snoop Dogg entering the metaverse. I really don't want to talk about that. I will say that Young Gravy and Addison Ray and Addison Ray's mother... Uh, were far removed, are we, <laughs> from the days of Eamon and Frankie or even that time that Colin Farrell took Britney Spears to the premiere of The Recruit with all these kind of sham relationships. Um, um, do you think that that was a lunch hour well spent? Um, I think it was on the balance of play here. Yeah, me too. I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot. I feel like we all learned a lot here. Maybe the listener did. Yeah. I'm going to certainly dive back into the back catalogue of Young Gravy. And um, <laughs> what did um, <laughs> what did uh, <laughs> that wasn't a euphemism, Adam? What did uh, Chris Martin learn this week, Craig? Um, he learned that he um, has ridiculous power over his fans, but he's using that positively from the evidence here. Um, he also learned that if he needed um, any kind of knowledge in this regard, Steve Coogan can really belt him out. There's been a lot going on with Coldplay, who are on tour. 20 years, by the way, since uh, the release of A Rush of Blood to the Head. Oh, yeah. Following, we, all, we also had 20 years of Queens of the Stone Age's Songs for the Deaf, and of course, 25 years of Oasis Be Here Now. Which of Which those three albums? To quite a lot. I have, yeah. Fuck me. Um, for for work purposes, um, and also you love that record. I right? had, you love the cocaine excess. Of it's it. great, yeah. I had the 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 former two though, and as a matter of fact, in my place by Coldplay was one of the very first songs I learned how to play on drums. As oh, was Supersonic by Oasis, Supersonic by Oasis as well, and also uh, Hate to Say I Told You So by the Hives. They were probably the first three songs I ever learned how to play. Not brilliant drums on. The it's the exact same beat over and over again. It's just good to learn how to keep time. Yeah. Um, which I never was very good at. But um, Coldplay, doing things. They're gigging. So they recently played Wembley, which is, you know, I think they do that most weeks. But sure. <laughs> Chris Martin isn't jaded whatsoever. Um, he made the night of one particular fan, Matty Jolly. <laughs> Brilliant name. He had a sign, Dave, um, that he was holding aloft at this show. Wembley, Wembley Stadium, Dave. It's huge, right? Um, three lines <laughs> three lines brave Chris Martin came down from the <laughs> stage saw the sign the sign was asking for Chris to design his tattoo okay 
Which is an odd request, right? It doesn't like play a song. It's, it's very specific. Also, Usually, how are you going to find the time in the middle of a gig? You have to consult in that situation where it's like you have to be, um, you know, like like the, yeah, these things. I, I have tattoos. You can't just you can't just have some rock star do it for you on the spot. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the best way to go. But Chris Martin had no qualms. He really <laughs> does. Yeah, got a pen and paper and. Really, really quickly, I've seen the video footage, just like scribbled down something. And I was like, there you go, mate. And your man's like, getting that. Um, so we haven't seen the image at time of recording. Um, but Mr. Jolly has been talking to Lad Bible. <laughs> um, he said, as soon as it happened, I burst into tears, realizing what had just happened. I was more in shock than anything. Uh, he picked me out of an 80,000 strong crowd to make my night even better. He didn't have to do it. I'm so grateful he did. And he described the design as a really cool love heart, which has a cool looking infinity sign around it. Great. Um, That's original. I looked, I did some digging on my lunch break. <laughs> Chris Martin. How has long a was this lunch break? <laughs> it's a long, long lunch break. I was out to lunch. Um, Chris Martin himself has a number of tattoos, and they're quite like small, and they're just like little. Squiggles, really, as well. He's got an in- infinity symbol himself. He's got a love heart. So this is very much within his wheelhouse uh, yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm sure, like, if this was second nature to him, just uh, bash this out. Now, here's the question, right? If you're jolly, <laughs> do you get... <laughs> if you're Santa Claus. <laughs> do you take Chris Martin's sketches for what they were as, like, here is your design, now bring it to someone and get the proper version? Or do you just get it, like, stenciled onto you because it's in his handwriting and that somehow means more? Uh, it's got to be the second one. Do you, was it you who told me once, somebody mentioned before, that, like, back in the the glory days of the hot press tent at uh, uh, Electric Picnic or whatever, there was one time when, was it Pete Doherty or maybe it was Jared Leto, I think? And it was, like signed some fan's arm with a marker and then the fan immediately like whips out some cling film and wraps it around because they want to get it tattooed. Yeah, well it wasn't, it wasn't, it was um, it was Pete Darty, you're correct. I thought it was Jared Leto because I was going to say that, that that clearly wouldn't have aged well. Yeah, it wasn't a festival scenario. It was the day um, the Libertines were playing Tree Arena. Um, it was when I interviewed the band and it wasn't a fan. Well, it was a fan. But this we're definitely all fans did. Of the Libertines but what I said definitely Jambles. also did happen. This presumably happens quite regularly to, to these superstars. Of course. Um, what happened was Pete Doherty scrawled something on an interviewer's arm when they were chatting. Was it you? I, I don't know if I should know. Was, oh, was me. I don't know if I should reveal. I don't know. I know who it is. Yeah, it's friend. It's a friend of the show. It's a friend of the show. Go on. It's Claire Beck. Claire Beck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so, I completely forgot about this. So she. But got, the thing I'm talking about did happen. Someone definitely in the hot press. Oh, maybe def- that was Leto. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully, but, yeah, not, hopefully not. But I forgot about the Claire thing. Yeah, that's right. Claire did do this. Yeah. So that was like an impromptu thing. I guess it's just Mark. Yeah, and listen, nice. I'm like, not not just because it's Claire, but like I'm not mocking it. I just think it's an interesting practice. I like it. I like also like the attitude of um, not being so precious about you know the perfection of a tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've yeah. had discussions in recent <laughs> recent weeks where I'm like, I'm going to eventually get a tattoo. Like, I have figured out. Um, Should have had Pete right maybe, on your arm. Maybe one day. Yeah, would have been yeah. very. Maybe Craig Adam will do something for me to do. Uh, at the end of the show, and I'll, I'll get it done. Adam's got some good tattoos. In fairness, we've got some audio of something else that happened at a Coldplay show just to take us out of this. Um, Steve Cookham pitched up. Do you want to hear a bit of Partridge just to well, lighten if you, the mood? If you've prepared the audio, then I see no other on. choice. I didn't do this on my lunch break. But uh, no, running you know, up hills, up roads, it's all cardiovascular. Not sure about running up buildings, unless you're Spider-Man. 
excellent humour. But no, running is, is very, very... Chris, what do you think the song's about? Because it can't just be about running. I mean... I think it might be about overcoming problems. Overcoming problems? It's a metaphor. Got it. Got yeah. it. Right. Let's sing the chorus. OK. Two. One, two, three, four. And if I only could, I'd make a deal with God. And get him to swap our places. Be running up that road. Be running up that hill. Now, I will just say, now, Steve Coogan has the shield of doing the Partridge character in that regard, but like, my God, in a stadium, probably half the people being like, is this Alan? What is this? What is he saying? What is this ironic humour where it's like, it's dad jokes, but it's, it's supposed to be? It, that just felt like death to me. I think the shield has long cracked, like Captain America's shield that time when the stakes were down for him. Uh, I don't. I, I think the Alan Parch thing is is mostly really, really played out. Anyway, oh, I, I did well. And I think maybe he, in those kind of appearances, I think when I he pops up and does stuff like this, I, I find it really embarrassing. It's just and also I didn't know where that I didn't know where sorry. that was going, and when it went to where it went, I was like, you, I, I literally would be like, refund, please. Yeah, Coldplay have be, seem to have this thing where they get up like their comedy mates to do songs. Um, <laughs> that was by far. The best that I saw. <laughs> they, who, who they, they brought up Simon Pegg, I oh think, no. which is just like Simon Pegg. Like, what? Why are you? Hey, Simon, up talk up? to us about getting really lucky and becoming Tom Cruise's friend and ruining the Mission Impossible franchise. That I want to hear. Um, what I don't want to hear is them bringing up James Corden. Oh, great. For hold on, this is a while ago now. For a heartfelt rendition of "Nothing Compares to You," where James <laughs> Corden is going full like Melissa, like putting in the. To honor Prince, who had just died, <laughs> and like you say, honor. <laughs> yeah, I say honor. But Coldplay need to stop doing this. Um, well, they're retiring in twenty twenty five, apparently. And I, I agree. I prefer the mode of Steve Steve Coogan, where, where he's just like actual music fan, being like um, jumped by the BBC to like give a rolling commentary of Paul McCartney as yeah. he gets emotional. That they, is by far they the went, vibe. They yeah. went to that well way too far. Real quick, is a rush of blood to the head a good album? Yes or no. Um, yes, but not as good as Parachutes and I never go back to it. That's scientist is incredible. It's the correct answer. Yeah. I mean, I will say The Scientist, you know, because it was the I Want That Played at My Funeral song for everyone for a long time. Going back to it there, because I actually have another Joe video coming out about that. Should be out by the time this comes out. Um, the Scientist is a genuinely great song. Yeah. To be fair. Um, and he can be a genuinely great writer. Politic is a really good opener. Yeah. Like I think Parachutes is a very good album. Um, we've talked about this before. Coldplay are... You they're alright. They're alright. You just need to rein they're it okay in okay in my book. Not okay in my book. Michael Jackson. Um, but uh, <laughs> thank, thankfully he's... This news section. Thankfully he's long been worm food. Um, the King of Pop... But well, he had his issues. At one mean. stage, he wanted to be the King of Dreams because uh, it emerged this week that uh, The Sandman, the TV show The Sandman, Netflix, anybody watched it? Just me? No, I haven't seen it, no. Um, um, Neil Gaiman wrote the graphic novels. Yeah. I used to be very into those when I, I was... I was very into the graphic novels as well. Yeah, yeah, I loved And I was them. reluctant to delve into the series. I've yeah. seen the series. Uh, there's 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because, like, I watched it the weekend it came out, but I, I I took a couple of days to get to it, and I got a figure like Dave of late teens, early twenties would have been, you know, fucking devouring this on day one, second one. Yeah, the show is okay. It's good. I don't think it's great. 
there's something weirdly missing from it. It has so much from the graphic novels. Like, it has so many scenes replicated almost perfectly. I think the casting, for the most part, is on point. Okay, that's um, Like, Boyd Holbrook plays the Corinthian, and he's, like, the kind of season-long villain, and he does a pretty good job. But it's strange, because it simultaneously looks expensive and cheap, and there's just a weird flatness to it that I just can't quite put my finger on. Mm. Um yeah, I don't know what it is. Something's off. Like, it's so clear that they recreated it as faithfully as they possibly could. Put a lot of love into it. But something's missing. I don't quite know what it was. Maybe it's Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson apparently at one stage wanted to play Morpheus, the Sandman, the King of Dreams. Um, I mean, visually towards the end, it might have worked. I mean, looking at this article here from Stereogum, uh, to quote it, uh, it says, unless we're counting vanity projects like Moonwalker, fucked up film, by the way. Never seen it. Very scary, if I recall correctly. And Captain EO, Michael Jackson only acted in two movies in his entire life. He was Scarecrow in The Wiz in 1978, and he did a quick cameo in Men in Black 2. Jackson wanted more, it says here. Every once in a while... Apparently he tried to play Jar Jar Binks. What? Um, I don't know, but apparently he wanted to be in the Sandman. Hold on, wait. Is that, is that a joke inserted in a thing? Because he pitched himself as the next James Bond. These are clearly like flights of fancy. Yes. Um, <laughs> but basically Neil Gaiman is saying... I don't want to believe anymore. Neil Gaiman is saying that Michael Jackson wants to play Morpheus um, and that he... It didn't go ahead, obviously. Um, he was pitching doing the show to Warners, Warner Brothers, and they were like, Michael Jackson rang up and said he wants to be Morpheus. Uh, Neil Gaiman said, what did I think? I was like, ooh, that's pretty much all that's in this article. So I assume he was against it, but who knows? It didn't happen. Yeah, um, you do You do often hear about these interesting like behind-the-scenes potential projects that mm. Michael Jackson would try and engage in. I always remember Howard, Howard Stern, the shock shock, um, talking about <laughs> him being approached in the 90s um, by Jackson's team to do an inter- a public interview with him. Um, to rehabilitate his image after wow. the allegations, and they were just like, "Yeah, you're the you're the perfect person because you'll hold no punches and pull no punches and blah, blah, blah. And Howard Stern essentially was just like, "I was I wanted nothing whatsoever to do with this, but I, I met him because like uh, there was the opportunity to meet him and just like so say what he was like, and he was just like, I don't think Michael Jackson spoke to him once, um, and he just he found the whole situation extremely odd being in the room with him at the time when he was." Appearance-wise, changed quite deeply, and yeah, um, not the star of yesteryear, even then, the 90s, so just... I still think that could, have, story. that could have been quite interesting. I mean, I would love to have known what questions Howard Stern would have asked him, but it is questions, Craig, that uh, makes up the Bravo. core subject matter of our top five. This week is the first top five we've done in a while. Because, of course, it was the quiz on the last episode. If for whatever reason you missed the quiz, go back and listen. I think it's a fun hour and a half. Uh, top five, however. Top five songs that ask questions stemming from us doing the quiz. Pretty straightforward, Yeah, you would think. I think we both stuck to stuff that we like, question mark. I mean, I, I've kind of got a mixed bag here. Um, <clears throat> I think the stipulation was that the song has to ask a question in its title. Yes, yeah, I think sticking to titles saved us just a major headache. It was already tough enough because there's... Loads. Yeah. Um, and loads of good ones too. Loads of great ones, long short, long, really long short list uh, of stuff. And yeah, it did come down to just stuff I've kind of been enjoying this week. 
Um, we do a lot of judicious editing with these lists. Not so much with the actual content of the episodes, but <laughs> with our lists we do. Well, there are loud birds outside. Maybe they'll make the episode. I don't know. It's possible. Hopefully. A bit nice and atmospheric. It's okay. Late yeah, summer. I, how did I try and pitch my picks? I'd say they're not necessarily the greatest songs that ask questions, right? <laughs> And I don't know if they're quite the songs that ask the greatest questions, but they're somewhere in between. I'm getting a real, um, a scorer of great goals, but not a great goal scorer from this. I did want the question to be somehow central to the trust of the song and something, not necessarily anthemic, but just a really big fulcrum point of the song. And... Okay. Steering away from kind of cliches and stuff. Because there's a lot of great songs that were just like questions about, oh, do you love me and all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, do you think um, that your number one would be a good closer for the episode? Yes or no? Um, Try to decide the order here of who should go first. It's, yeah, I mean, it's an absolute all-timer. Okay. I think it'll... So is mine. But uh, how about... I'll go first, right, which go means ahead. that you finish. So, Grant, yeah. yeah, whatever works. Man. So, I mean, like to <laughs> yeah. be fair, I mean, like I ended up with, with a pretty decent long list of all kinds of stuff, and there are there's classic after classic here, but I haven't gone for classics in every instance. And the first song I've gone with is definitely a song that is, I think, it's more interesting than admirable. That's why I picked it. Okay, but it was also the very very first song I thought of about doing this list because it will bring me to. A good recent anecdote, but also worth asking questions. I mean, we had a big chat about Arcade Fire to run about morality and about, you know, changing attitudes and all these kind of things. Um, and, you know, public perception and yada, yada, yada. Um, so where better to, to, to pick up a more serious thread than to talk to three young men who are now three older men these days. But back when they were three younger men, they asked some questionable questions, Craig. Let's hit it. Just take a minute. It's uh, it's busted. <clears throat> who's David? They ask. Well, David Hanrady is here to tell you. Um, it's busted. It's who's David? Is the height of their fame, early two thousands, I believe. And some very questionable lyrics in the second verse there by James Bourne when he says, and I quote, You left your phone, so I invaded. So he's basically breaking into his girlfriend's phone. Mm-hmm. I hated what I saw. You stupid lying bitch, who's David? And then it goes on, some guy who lives next door, so go live in the house of David, which sounds like something out of Game of Thrones, if you like. But be sure he don't know Peter, John, or Mike. I, I was like, is this some kind of biblical reference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's meant who to be... Who the hell is Luke? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Judas. Uh, I think it's meant to be these are three other men that she's apparently courting around with or cavorting around with. I think there's like, like I played the explicit version there in which he hits the word bitch pretty hard. I think the word whore is in here somewhere in some other alternative version, maybe possibly. But like, it's very, like Adam was making the point there, not to drop Adam in the mud, but like, that like, (laughs) it's all these letters to the Corinthians. It's a, uh, or the Corinthian, uh, a hell of a chorus. It must be said that it kicks into and it has that kind of busted sing song thing. But like, I mean, I think we just like gave this a pass in many ways uh, back in 03 or whatever it was. There were different times, I mean. 02, 03. But like, you know, you can't, 
you can't you can't call a, a girl a stupid lying bitch in a pop song. <laughs> but it they just did. Generally mean spirited. <laughs> but I they mean, did, and we, I, I I don't think anyone seized upon it at the time. Do you remember this? What was your reaction to Busted? I never liked Busted. I thought they were kind of watered down. More of a fight star man, just like me. Yeah, one hundred percent. Actually, they had some tunes. I actually unironically like. To be fair, I really like Fight Star. Definitely better than McFly. Oh God, yeah. My experience of Busted, I think, was by proxy where one of my younger cousins really got into them when he was very young, and that was kind of his intro into like guitar music. So that's that's fair enough. I'm sure they had that role for a lot of people. Three AM is a fucking belter. I'll give I'll give them that. Um, I love 3am and it's undeniable that a lot of their kind of melodies just for me hearing them in passing would kind of wriggle their way into your brain so they were good they had chops I like Charlie Simpson I must say but here's the thing right and one, my, my main reason for picking this song is to talk about reflection and uh, atonement perhaps so I've definitely mentioned this on the podcast before but it's worth bringing up again 2016 Busted came back they released an album called Night Driver. It isn't terrible. It's good. It's actually pretty good. The first few songs in it are actually very enjoyable. They kind of went in some kind of disco funk thing. Cullum and I, Cullum Regan, formerly of this parish, of course, Cullum yep. and I went to see them live in the Olympia Theatre and we ended up in the pit, because media pit passes, and we were the only adults there drinking <laughs> and it was very weird. Jedward were there. It was a <laughs> hell of an evening. Fun show though, must be said. Jedward are adults. <laughs> Are they? <laughs> we, may, we may never know. You're not in spirit. They're kind of Peter Pan figures. So but. They did press, of course, for this record. And they're speaking to The Guardian. It may have been Laura Snapes. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I'm going to read out the close of this article. Okay. It's not too long, but it's fun. So here we go. You ready? So again, Busted at this point, presumably in 2016, would be what? Like in their 30s, I assume? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they would be. Busted still seemed preoccupied with being taken seriously. They described the recent spate of, quote, big reunion reformations of pop bands as, quote, unquote, tragic. They say they don't care about the success of Night Driver. They insist they would happily play in tiny venues if they were the only path open to them. You get the feeling that they're keen to erase a past that is too potent to ignore. Quote uh, from Matt Willis, Funnily enough, when we were out at a dinner, I put on this fucking shit video from Busted back in the day. This thing, it was hanging out. And someone filmed us. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? You're so young, 16, 17. You're not really yourself yet. You're copying other people. Your whole existence is made up from being what you're supposed to be like, adds James Bourne. A lot of that is when you're 17. All you really give a shit about is what your mates think of you, Willis says. I just wanted my mates to think I was cool. Some of them did, and some of them did not. But now, I don't give a fuck. Continues, their attitudes aren't the only things that have evolved with time. Culture, for one, has moved on. In a review of Busted Show in London in May, the Daily Telegraph suggested the song Who's David had dated badly with its misogynistic undertones, quote, you stupid lying bitch, who's David? All the more uncomfortable come from people who no longer had the excuse of being teenagers. Now this, Craig, that's where it gets really interesting. Okay. What do you mean, misogynistic undertones, asks Bourne. You can't say stupid lying bitch anymore, Willis replies. Really? Bourne says. Charlie Simpson says. He's clearly like squirming. As you say, society has changed hugely. Much more PC. Willis, basically, it's not cool to call women bitches anymore. Charlie Simpson, I'm not sure it ever was. Willis, that was kind of the point. Then Map or J- James Bourne, whatever his name is, goes, even if they lie... Willis 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 says even if they've been a bitch to you ah, 
Karen, even if she cheats on you, is she not a bitch? Charlie Simpson, clearly wanting to wrap this up, goes, derogatory terminology. Anyway, we would never write lyrics like that. We're different people to the people we were. We were little kids back then. It's the difference between being 18 and 33. It's that different, concludes Bourne, on board with third wave feminism, on board with an all new busted. <laughs> Is it a good song? Should they be condemned forever for, um, you know, doing I mean, that? I'd never say it was a good song. <laughs> <laughs> Should they be condemned forever? That's a different conversation. Going through her phone's pretty bad behaviour as well. I don't care if you are 17. I mean, we could get, uh, this is, you know, we've been talking quite a lot. Uh, that's kind of the point of the podcast, I suppose. <laughs> we could go down the whole thing of just like, well, you know, is the is it a different narrator? Is it, you know, a character study? Oh, yeah, study? yeah, sure. I would suggest that interview suggest. We found out where maybe I'd be giving yeah, them too yeah. much credit. Um, All so right. maybe just a playthrough. Yeah, okay, let, my first choice But will, who is David? Uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, we'll never know. No. We'll never know. Unanswerable question. My first choice is going to steer us away from kind of any problematic waters. Um, and I'm glad I went with this one because I, my first couple of thoughts around uh, this topic were I instantly went to um, the Smiths. Because <laughs> Morrissey <laughs> can really write a song that asks those kind of questions. As soon as now, what difference does it make? I've in, uh, included a Smith song, I think, in one of our lists before um, because it was just too beautiful to leave out. I, I, included, don't want to talk about I threw um, I, I picked First of the Gang to Die by Morrissey. Filled such tremendous, tremendous stuff. But I've gone instead with a band that were dubbed the Australian Smiths by Alex Kapranos. I know who this is. Just before he covered this song. <laughs> with a paint box, paints the chapel blue. She went out with a matchsticks, torch the car wash too. Turns out I didn't know who that was. I thought it was going to be The Vines. Oh, really? Just your intro kind of threw me for a second what there. What question would they have asked in one of their songs? It we'll never have, know. It was the go-betweens. Will, will we have a second album? I don't know. Go on, sorry. <laughs> and the answer was no. Did they come out with a second album? Vines. Yeah. They I, kind of fell apart, didn't they, after... I think Man had there was issues. issues. Yeah. yeah. Craig yeah. something? Craig Nicholas, I yeah. believe. But we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about the go-betweens <laughs> for the next half hour. <laughs> no, that that song is Was There Anything I Could Do? It's taken from their last record, I believe, 16 Lovers Lane. And yeah, the go-betweens, I mean, I picked one of their songs previously, uh, probably a good while ago now, but if you don't know, the go-betweens, massively slept on, kind of classically slept on band from the 80s that were literate and emotional in a way the Smiths could be from Brisbane in um, in Australia moved to kind of London went to London in the 80s to try and make it and just encountered massive problems Sorry can I interrupt you for one second yeah, yeah, I do on. apologise for doing so I've just seen a thing on Twitter because Feist is the support act at the Arcade oh, Fire show okay. so Feist is there and at her merch stand all proceeds from her merchandise oh. tonight is going to Women's Aid Dublin Nice move So that's just a quick update from the show uh, interesting backstage uh, this evening. Uh, yeah, that uh, that's a nice move. I I uh, yeah, we don't even factoring the, that in, but yeah, yeah maybe some people we, will just be gone for her. We can further slot. analyze this next week when there probably be more info. But for now, just that quick update because I think that is a very notable thing. But back to the go betweens. Back to the nineteen eighties London. Um, probably just as miserable. They had a miserable time of it because they were writing these actually quite catchy literate pop songs and having no commercial success. Um. 
They're an interesting band. They're kind of like uh, two front men, two really, really good songwriters, Robert Forster, uh, who's gone on to be uh, a music critic in Australia, is really well regarded, has written a lot of books and talks really eloquently about the go-betweens. And Grant McLennan, who passed away a few years ago. This is one of his songs. He was kind of popular of the two. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend Robert Forster just to check out some of his YouTube conversations and stuff he does where he like talks about their experiences in the 80s and... Um, music in general and he's just a really interesting kind of mind and so was Grant McLennan I went down a rabbit hole uh, as I say there recently of YouTube stuff and there was there's an interview on YouTube of um, Dave Fanning a young Dave Fanning in I think 1986 a couple oh, years before this album came out uh, on uh, RT Radio 2 um, talking to Grant McLennan who's just fresh from I think Dave Fanning had like an evening show at the time like a nighttime show and Grant was just fresh from being interviewed by Hot Press. I think Bill Graham. He might have had a couple or something because it was a really interesting conversation. And Dave Fanning was quite good, but also very like, um, very forthright. Like he was, he, he was clearly a big go-betweens fan, but he would say things like, um, yeah, I loved Before Hollywood. Um, not so much the debut album. I, I, I didn't think that was good at all, Grant. Like, just matter-of-factly. I think, so, so what you're saying, Dave Fanning has always had this in his locker. Yeah. He would just say how he feels. It was really refreshing. It was great. So maybe check that out, but definitely check out the go-betweens. In terms of um, songs that ask questions, I love this one um, because it's... It's kind. It could be like a, a jilted lover song. It could be a bit like I need to get this girl back. But to me, it sounds like it comes from a place of like a she's leaving home by the Beatles, where it's uh, a perspective of watching this kind of force of nature or other person like embraced her freedom and just standing by and being like, kind of wish I could live like that because it sounds really interesting and. Was there anything I could do? It's kind of a rhetorical question because it ends with the, you know, putting out her fire thing of just like, if I did anything, I just would have stood in her way. So it's a really kind of sympathetic song, an interesting take on that. But they've really, lots of very, very interesting songs. I can't speak enough about the go-betweens. But for now, I've spoken enough about the go-betweens. <laughs> uh, my number four, I mean, it like, this list was tricky because it, it turned into a bit of a grab bag and I found myself at a certain point being like, I do have some some undisputed classics I think I think coming up, but I wanted to get a, a real Dave pick in yeah. beyond busted. So um, this band have featured before. I didn't think that they had. They're not amazing or nothing, but I just kind of like this song. Okay, great. <laughs> So that's Filter. They're one of those okay. American bands that like don't really have much of a footprint, I think, outside of America to a massive degree. Uh, the song is called Where Do We Go From Here? And it's taken from a record called The Amalgamate, which came out in, I want to say, 2002. And it was one of those ones that I kind of bought sight on scene when I was in that kind of, you know, um, like teenage 
into metal and alternative music and there was a re- there was a record store although I was only buying CDs at that point of course because I only recently got into vinyl um, and I was very much like I read about this in Krang and got four out of five mm. I'm into it let's go uh, Richard Patrick is the frontman of this act he is the brother of Robert Patrick the T-1000 himself oh, wow. from the Terminator franchise and unfortunately I believe a big Donald Trump guy now I don't know if Richard Patrick is a big Trump guy I hope that he isn't I haven't really kept up with Filter's career too hard there's definitely lots of America's a dystopia shit going on but I was quite charmed by this record at the time they are of course the band behind the song Hey Man Nice Shot that was a big 90s alternative hit that I did have in top 5 90s alternative anthems I did with Sarah Corcoran last year I believe mm. um, but there's an earnestness to filter that I quite like sometimes and this song captures it they got a song called Take a Picture which I quite, which I think is a really really good song and then there's a song called The Only Way is the Wrong Way that again it's a bit lightweight it's a bit kind of like you know diet rock sometimes and it's a bit it's very american in that kind of weird kind of montage way but it just kind of hits a chord with me this has a hilariously bad video um that was very like of its time <laughs> as well where you know everyone was doing it jimmy Eat world did it although they did it quite well with the middle video but this is like here's filter um these lads clearly in their 40s and they're at a high school party or like they're going to like some kind of like you know red cup party with all these like sexy young teens and they're just playing there but the point of the video appears to be that they don't fit in bro and it's just like old school it's very very weird like and they're playing in the kitchen one it's 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 meant to be cool and i'm sure in 2002 it was the shit but it just looks really really cringe (laughs) it just looks really cringe really richard patrick was in nine inch nails which i only learned after the fact he was a touring keyboardist for a while and stuff like believe he was definitely in the Tremors and set up at one point but yeah I just um, I think there's always room for a good old angsty shout out question when you're looking at the fucking world and it's not giving you what you want and you know where do we go from here etc I think it's just a good release song um, and it it's funny because like you know 20 years on that's scary um, you know the teen angst versus the adult angst and how um, again the classic thing of like oh man Sure wouldn't mind going back there and not having responsibilities for thinking that I did. All the shit. It's tough, isn't it? All that yeah. kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I, I think it, I actually think it's quite a good song in accomplishing what it does. Um, I, 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 it, again, it was like, this one comes to mind. I'm listening to it again. I'm kind of enjoying going back into this space. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope he's not a trumper. He might be. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about Robert Patrick. I know he's big into it. Yeah, uh, he's although like, I'm glad I skipped all the seasons where he replaced um, Fox Mulder as Agent Doggish. Oh, in the, the X Files. Yeah, as far as I know, I, I, I think I'm accurate on this one. I'm pretty sure he's like you know in a motorcycle gang and like I don't know where he was. Motorcycle. In January, gang I, I don't know where he was on January sixth, but it wouldn't shock me. Um, hopefully, his brother, the more alternative music guy, is we got uh, our legal team to check though. Should say. <laughs> should but say. I though, mean, Adam. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, it should it should be said though, like the T1000 is one of the great villains. In, in all of cinema and he re- reprised that role greatly in uh, Wayne's World for a very funny cameo oh yeah yeah that was funny have you seen this boy but right. um, yeah good song I think let's filter. go <laughs> where, filter where, where now where, where do we go from here <laughs> we go to my number four my number four is um, I think this art is featured in our first ever top five if it was um, Bond themes was that our first one I believe so. Um, this was on my shortlist and it wasn't in the top five until I started listening to a little playlist to put together uh, over kind of consecutive nights. I went out for a run the other night. This was a song that I was enjoying, I think, the most out of all the ones I was listening to. And at a certain point, I stopped at a set of traffic lights on my run 
and I kind of took one ear slightly off uh, my headphone just so I could hear it kind of traffic. And there was maybe about four or five walkers standing around me. And I realized, of course, that my headphones were blaring out music. <laughs> and I, I had to then include this specific song that was playing at that moment just because otherwise, what is the point? So what they heard as I stood there panting was this. It's Turner, what's love got to do with it? Anti-love songs of the first time. Oh, okay. So second week. Um, this could have been in anti-love songs. I don't know. This wasn't in my top wait, four. what was it in then? No, no. Justine Turner was for GoldenEye, oh, of course. Oh, of course. For Bond, Bond teams. Teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Um, this has been in the running for a few um, different topics. Most recently, I'm not sure how recent it is now, but Divorce Core, our big Divorce Core episode. I can't wait to go back to that one. Maybe we need to actually get divorced first, though. What, like as a as a podcast? As I was a, thinking like as a as a person who gets married, but like, you know. Oh, right. So we all need to go off individually and yeah, come back for sure, like yeah, in yeah. 10 years. It's and, like proper method <laughs> podcasting. Okay, let's keep that sequel in mind and maybe um, inform some of our life choices by, by <laughs> the need to do that episode. But I nearly picked this one just as a kind of counterpoint to all the very miserable, not great middle-aged men that were writing stuff about like, oh, the ex-wife hates me and I'm like chasing younger women now. This was Tina Turner. I think she was 44, 45 at the time. Her career was in a bit of a downturn, uh, of course, uh, no longer with Ike, um, which was great. But I don't think she had had a hit since like the early 70s. 83, she covered Let's Stay Together. And I think that kind of made a minor splash. 1984. Great year. The album is, yeah, great year. Great year. Maybe the most 80s year. Tell you. Do you know what I mean? I'll, can, t- I'll tell you what. What can I say? The album, I think it was Private Dancer, came out. This was the lead single. Um, her biggest hit, number one, everywhere, both sides of the Atlantic, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it works really well. Her delivery on it's brilliant. I love flipping the thing of just being like, this is very, I'm, you know, a new divorcee. We're kind of at the wine bar. I'm taking a chance on a guy. But listen, I'm looking out for myself. Don't get like ahead of yourself. This is nothing emotional. She comes across kind of really powerful. It's great. And of course, as the song goes on, like the verses kind of shift things to being like, oh, I'm actually having feelings. Uh, You know, that kind of classic thing. But I think her vocal works really well in that regard where it's like restrained when it needs to be. And then it's an absolute belter at certain moments um, where it just works brilliantly. Production wise, I love it as well. It's very, very 80s, but like in a kind of tasteful way where it's just smooth as hell. And you've got, I think it's a, uh, a Yamaha kind of like harmonica thing but it sounds like flutes and that's all I need Dave I mean who could possibly demand anything more <laughs> but uh, I've got some more though let me tell you let's do it so my number three in the questions songs that ask questions it's a cover uh, a song that I haven't covered before but I went back to this one off the back of some research and I found myself just being like well this is undeniable mm-hmm. this is so much fun it's incredible you could even argue that it's a bit underrated, and I know Adam's going to appreciate it. Here is my number three. Come, 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 come 
Could it be magic? Yes, it is. It's so good. <laughs> Take that cover. Um, originally written by an Manolo, act called Manolo in an act called Featherbed, uh, alongside Tony Orlando. And it was, of course, I mean, like the Barry Manilow solo track when it was re-recorded was this like almost seven minute, like very melancholic, you know, slow sad burner. And then, of course, Donna Summer covers it, mm. and it becomes this incredible. Like that's what Take That's covering here, like this incredible disco awesome floor filler that again I'm sure Adam will nod his head when I say it's incredible yeah it's, he's nodding his head um, this is or you take that of course I think it's 93 maybe it's definitely in yeah, the early 90s was, it was pretty back for good uh, 92 I think apparently um, won the Brit Award for British Single in 93 though and essentially was it pre-Jack Harlow's existence probably <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, big hit of course uh, as the band were very much being you know on their way because like it's funny watching the video for this. Um, 92. 92, yeah. Funny watching the video for this because, of course, like, you know, it's them in a warehouse, uh, lots of leather. It's wildly homoerotic, as you might imagine. Um, but the really interesting thing is that, like, whoever edited this video was like, well, Robbie Williams is the guy. He's in the fucking thumbnail on YouTube even now. But, like, it is so many individual shots of Robbie Williams and the other lads are just kind of also there. <laughs> like it's wild like it it, it is like Robin's like may as well have edited this because Barlow barely gets a look in uh, you get a bit of Mark Owen but like it, this is the camera is loving Robbie Williams and it's well, like what's not the love Dave fair enough but he's got that great fringe going on um, it's just it's it's so much fun it's incredibly effective it's per, it's a perfect boy band song uh, in terms of what take that where yeah. Uh, the harmonies are fucking stunning uh, for what it is. Like, of course, the fucking, the the big creeping, like, big, like, you know, bim, 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 piano is, like, straight to the Streets of Rage, which, you know, I will reference yeah, yeah. forever. Like, imagine playing Streets of Rage and, like, bumping into these lads, you know, <laughs> having a dance-off. They're going to win. Uh, incredible <laughs> moves, by the way. I mean, like, like watching this video, like... Oh, they're tremendous dancers. Mark, like, Owen, genuinely. Mark Owen is doing some, like, unbelievable capoeira kind of shit. And I'm like... And I'm, and I, and like it says again. <laughs> so you do think they could actually fight dance? Like, oh yeah, they, oh, without question. Yeah. There should, that should have been a video. Should have been a video game. Take that's fight dance. I mean, oh like, God. but again, it shows how old I'm getting now. Where I'm like, I'm looking at Marco and doing those moves, and I'm like, oh man, my knees, Jesus. I'm like, how are you doing that? <laughs> Couldn't do that for twenty years. Um, so I guess, um, but I guess he did. But it's 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 really good. And like again, we talk all the time on this podcast about patience being the greatest comeback single of all time in 2006, which yeah. it is. And it obviously un- unlocked this new version of Take That, but like, you know, because f- for so long they were like a joke, despite the massive su- success. And especially when they first came out, you can watch some of those first videos and like, it was like, well, no one's any idea what to do with these guys apart from market them to, I guess, the queer community. Yeah. But like, they became this massive mainstream pop thing that was all embraced. And a song like this is unfucking deniable I mean, like, and again... It makes sense, like when you're like, especially when you see like the likes of a boys owner or Westlife, and it's like cover, cover, cover. Yeah, give them covers, and like you can't really go wrong than being like, do a cover of Donna Summer's cover of Yeah, Could It Be Magic, and just go nuts. Like, there's such a beautiful '90s hit off this as well, where it's like, it sounds like the equipment that was used, the production wasn't the greatest shit you could get on the market at the time, but it just did enough. But that's got a beautiful... A bit of grit there. There's a bit of grit there, yeah. In many ways, it's the uh, blood and the tracks of uh, <laughs> of Take That's career. But I, I think this song is incredible. I mean, like, maybe it was beloved at the time. It was certainly a hit, but, like, it's top five Take That. has to be. Yeah, I really like the... Um, I, lo- I like love this version. Around the Beautiful World tour era, they took to doing... 
I guess a version that was more like the original where they'd kind of go out to like the B stage and like Gary had said at the piano and they Could all gather around and they magic? do yeah just spirits move me like they just be like oh, oh Gary I'm yours <laughs> so that's a really good version Gary well. I'll pay your taxes <laughs> <laughs> I will reiterate he is my favourite Tory um, <laughs> it's a short list of one um, but yeah no this is tremendous it is magic day hey. and let's stick with the covers for my number three we'll hold it and then we'll watch the sunrise from the bottom of the sea. Are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? Yeah, it's Patti Smith doing Are You Experienced? Uh, the Jimi Hendrix song, title track from his debut album. And I love this cover. I love what she does with it. I love the original, um, but it does have some kind of 60s flourishes of like the backwards guitar being a newfangled thing. And it works really well in a kind of droney way, but slightly of its time. Whereas this is just like, it takes the psychedelic elements of it and just moves it into the apocalyptic um, which she's really good at. And she, you know, of course, uses it as a platform to inject her own poetry into it where she's literally talking about the end of the world. Uh, so it just takes on completely new meanings. This is from, her, I think, her 2007 covers record where she does similar with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, it's like a banjo-led version of Smells Like Teen Spirit and it's maybe the only good cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit. So that's worth checking out as well. Um but as a question, are you experienced is really, really, it feels like the most important question from that like 60s movement of just like, it could be about sex, but it's not. It's clearly about drugs, but it's about more than drugs, Dave. It's about <clears throat> opening your third eye. <laughs> and, um, Isn't that about drugs? Breaking off, yeah, truth or the other side, um, as Jimbo would have said. But I always had a soft spot for Jimi Hendrix um, from my teen years. Of all those kind of 60s um, guitar gods, he was the one that seemed simultaneously the most grounded. He wasn't just a kind of slightly desperate, um, you know, wannabe rock star that was like trying to exude sex. He was just cool as hell, but also very kind of weirdly cosmic and thoughtful and songs like Purple Haze and his cover of All Along the Watchtower. It felt like he just knew a bit more than he was letting on. And this is one of those songs where it could just be, it means so many different things. Um, so yeah, I come back to this version probably more so. Um, that's why I picked it, but... As a standalone phrase, are you experienced? It's great. Like it's, it, there's two kind of big questions in the 60s for me. It's like, are you experienced? And then Dylan doing the flip side of that, where it's like, how does it feel? Which is really finger pointing and social issues. But this is the cooler side of like the flower power thing. Um, when anything seemed possible and then he, he died like three years later and, you know, that all came crashing down. It's amazing to think of like how short a span he was around for in terms of his career. This was came out maybe late 67 and he was dead, I think, by September of 1970, 27. It's just, yeah, crazy how these, these very, very young people became icons in a very, very brief spell. But when you hear a song like that, you know why. Gotta make the myths. Um, my number two is also no longer with us, unfortunately. Shuffled off this immortal coil in 2014, but left behind a legacy of great songs just like this one. Yeah. 
the summer of 1966. England are lifting the World Cup high. <laughs> and Jimmy Ruffin is somewhere in another country singing What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. Uh, stunning, incredible, unbelievable song. Jimmy Ruffin was the elder brother of David Ruffin, of The Temptations, of course. Ah, right. And, uh, you know, career in his own right, no doubt. Um, so I think it's, it's one of the best songs ever written. I love the production on it. It's just beautiful. It's timeless. I love how, you know, on the nose it is in an incredible way. And I love, like, who had love that's now departed? That's fucking stunning. Yeah. And it's incredible. And it does feel like it's the classic sad wounded crooner thing of like, it feels like he's like setting up a support group or something. You know, it's like, I, this is going to be a strange word to use, but like, I mean it in the most loving way. It's pathetic. You know, it's human being, like he's at the end, like like it's, it's I'm I'm pouring out all of my fucking brokenness to you. Yeah, and there's in, no glory in it. There's no, yeah. yeah. in the hope that you, well, I mean, the music is so glorious. Mm. I mean, like the the vocal is so, so soaring and stunning, but it's really is like, you know, I'm coming to you at my, at my lowest and I want to know if you know how I feel. Yeah, and maybe you feel the same way, and that's the most empathetic thing in music. It's it's and to dress it up in this big no sing along. If not, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think no worries if not was the original title for this, but um, <laughs> it's amazing, and also it had to be here, Craig, because um, when I first moved to Dublin, uh, I lived in Kilmainham there for a few years, and. Uh, was this around the time that dancing was outlawed in the town and you were like having none of it? Yeah, and yeah, like I, I moved to a small town <laughs> and uh, there was a crusty old lawman who, yeah, no. Um, one of the people I lived with would... <laughs> was in The Temptations? No, sorry. it was Jimmy Ruffin. No, um, one of the people I lived with, right, so he was getting over a breakup or I guess had some long-term damage about a breakup and so... Every single day, every single morning, mm. I would hear this song when he woke up in his room. He would start his day by playing What Becomes the Broken Hearted by Jimmy Ruffin. I love that. And that's how I'd know he's awake. And literally, I, I literally, you could be, you know, you could be coming down the stairs, going to work, you could be upstairs in your room, and you would just hear boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And I was like, here we fucking go. And I remember saying to him, I was like, you sure like that Jimmy Ruffin song, don't you? <laughs> and he was all like... Who doesn't? <laughs> and that's when he told me it was about some some lady he went out with in Chicago. Um, I guess his heart never did heal, much like Jimmy's. How recently was the breakup? I don't know. I think I, I think it was like a year prior or something, maybe possibly. But yeah. like, like this person I live with, like I got on well with them all, but like wouldn't be too voluntary in terms of, you know, emotional anecdotes and you know, that kind of level of empathy, but I felt a kinship with that man that day. And yeah. ever since then, Craig, I've started my day <laughs> listening to the alarm on my phone, everyone. Uh, no, I don't listen to this every better day. better than waking up till I got you, babe, and being like, holy shit, I'm in That's fair. This is, a, this is a heartbreaker, though, as it should it be. Is, yeah. uh, what does become with a brokenhearted, Craig? They just uh, live, eke out very, very lonely existences. Great. And eventually, they're just welcomed <laughs> into, by, in, yeah, into the nether realm. Yeah, yeah, so released, uh, <laughs> no, they, they move on and they become better people for it, Dave. Okay. So here, my number two is we're going to be in similar kind of territory, but this is um, this is very joyous. So I had some tough calls to make, obviously, with this list. Tina wasn't going to make it for the longest time. I had like a Husker Do song I was going to put in, but I was just like, I, 
Could You Be The One, but it was too kind of cliched for me. It's a great song, but I was just like, at a certain point in your life, you have to decide between Husker Du and Tina Turner. And I had a problem with my number one and number two, where I thought I only had room for one of them to kind of represent a certain era, a certain aesthetic, a certain um, approach. Then I realized there were the two best songs on my list. So this is the runner up. So that kind of bodes well for the number one place. Here we go. Shop Boys, who featured before in lists. Um, well, I was going to say, I don't think it's quite Bowie territory, but I think they're getting up there. I think maybe only tw- two appearances. Maybe they have, made more, have they have made more than two appearances. Do you reckon? I say that, I'm going to guess that this is number five, but continue. What was the song? So the song is What Have I Done to Deserve This? Of course. Thing, which is great. <laughs> I will say, like, this has become a, a personal kind of meme for me. If, if I'm having a bad day or if something happens to me that I'm like, of course this is happening. In my head, I will occasionally Straight just to go, Daniel Powder, what, have yeah. I, what have I, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and it cheers me up. <laughs> Try it, folks. It really does work. What was your guess? Five. This is the fifth appearance. This is the fifth no appearance way. of the Pet Shop Boys. I've picked them at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, I've picked them probably twice. Yeah. We've both, so picked, tr- we, we both picked them twice. I think Craig's on a third time. All right, three, two, oh, Craig, the, Pet Shop okay. Boys. But to be fair, you know... So many great songs. Always welcome. Such kind of um, versatile writers as well. They cover a lot yeah, of ground. Brilliant. I keep saying the word stunning today for some reason. This is from their stunning second album, hey. actually, which is <laughs> has that iconic photo of the two of them in tuxes. Just looks great. And um, it's just, this is one of those weird songs where it feels like about three or four different choruses just all stitched together. Just when you think that's the catchy bit, then like you realise it's just the bridge into the pre-chorus and then there's still a chorus to come. Dusty Springfield is taking the kind of second half of the conversation, um, which is like, I think um, Neil Tennant was just a huge, huge fan of hers from like when he was a child and it eventually happened. It was a kind of dream come, come true type stuff. And it is this kind of conversation, this back and forth. It apparently is about like just being stuck in a relationship and the other person is extremely kind of bad for you and toxic and you're just like, how do I extract myself? It's kind of grim. It's kind of mundane, but it's so twinkly and beautiful and they inject such glamour into it. Uh, that's just, it's just so good. It was actually a co-write as well as Dusty being on it with um, an Ali Willis who released one album herself in the 70s that didn't do anything. So she just became one of these kind of um, gigantic songwriters for other people. And uh, she wrote what did she she did a bunch of like really big hits she eventually I think ended up writing the the fucking team from Friends stuff like that but the way they ended up collaborating was she took up painting like um, one year was just starting out and she was friends with the manager of Pet Shop Boys and um, he suggested she paint their portrait so like they flew out to hang out with her didn't realise she was a songwriter because she was kind of keeping on the QT at the time and as they were spending the weekend together and getting their um, their portrait painted by her, they were just chatting and being like, "So what? You're a songwriter? Like, have you? Would we know any of your stuff?" And it suddenly dawned on them that they'd done like she'd done some of their favorite songs of all time. So they just wrote this song that weekend, 
Ah, it's so good. Um, it's just really, really, I can't get over the Pet Shop Boys in terms of broaching really difficult topics in a kind of, not lighthearted way, but just injecting such fun into it. And this is this is one of their, this is top five Pet Shop Boys for me. Okay. And the fifth entry. That's a big statement, but uh, tough to argue with, Craig. They are pretty incredible. Uh, number one for me, songs that ask questions. Also incredible, I think would be fair to say. It's a genuine classic. The okay. group behind this have been described as having a naive schoolgirl sound that contrasted with the sexual themes of many of their songs. They've also been credited with launching the girl group genre. And they were genuine game changers at the time. They're formed in the 50s. This song is from 1960 and it is incredible. So yeah, it is, of course, The Shirelles and Will You Love Me Tomorrow, also known as Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow in certain places, I guess. And uh, as that was playing, all I could think of was, um, boy, I hope Chad meets me tonight at the ice cream social. (laughs) Um, Should be said as well, to be fair. Um, You know, Adam made a point there off mic when he was kind of saying... You know, this should put paid to the people who come at you, Dave, for saying that you only listen to songs uh, beyond the year 1990, which... Uh, no, I think I think the year was established as your birth year, 1984. I think it was year. 1990, but uh, but nonetheless, as I said to, Col- or to Cullum, uh, to Adam, uh, to Cullum on the brain, Cullum may have been who one of these people, it? who knows. Um, I did say, I said they'll still say it, and you know what? I'm okay with it, guys, because I might offend a few of the blue noses with my <laughs> cocky stride. And did I do this bit recently? I think no. I did. Did I not? But not in the last year. I'd say. Well, I might offend a few of the blue noses with my cocky stride and musky odors. Oh, I'll never be the darling of the so-called city fathers who cluck their tongues, stroke their beards, and talk about what's to be done with this David William Hanready. But nonetheless, the Shirelles, very good band, great song. And will you still love me tomorrow? Will you love me tomorrow? I don't know. Um, again, you know, Twin Peaks often referenced, uh, obviously came 40 years after the song was released or whatever, but like, you know, it's hard not to think of Twin Peaks when I hear this song. It's hard not to think of that kind of vibe that David Lynch conjures up, particularly in Mulholland Drive when they're doing yeah. the throwback casting scene. What a movie, by the way. Please go watch that if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do find my, Adam makes a makes an interesting roundabout point because like, why don't I listen to more of this? It's incredible. Help me out, someone. It's it's so nourishing and sweet, I think, that you can... It's got to be small doses, right? You can't spend your life just listening to this stuff. You need, I don't know. Maybe you could. Be My Baby as well, that kind of stuff. I mean, like, you know... I mean, yeah. Wasn't it Brian Wilson that constantly just listened to Be My Baby? Like, to the <laughs> point where he had... Worked out for him. Yeah, someone found, like, recordings of um, Brian Wilson's in his home just like hours and hours of tape and they're like, oh my God, this must be all the genius kind of songs he's been working on with a real <laughs> treasure trove. And it was him just talking about Be My Baby and why it was so great and just making copious notes from listening to it day after day after day. I can see day. why it would do that to somebody. I should say lastly on this as well, um, much like the Jimmy Ruffin song before, I just love the naivety of it, the heart in the sleeve simplicity of it all you know it's just like it captures this in such a way that like again the music itself I think is very sophisticated and there is so much going on there it's not you know just the most plain thing you've ever heard like it's far from it but like 
I just love that thing of I can picture the booth that this was recorded in. I can picture the microphone. I can picture the earnestness of the take and. I just I love it. I love how 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 human it is, and just how how giving it is. And yeah. it's and and you know to break it down as a pop song, few better. You know, just incredible melody work. It's 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 perfect. Well said. And my number one is us dipping back into the harsher eighties. Um, <laughs> things are curdling. Um, Recession's we're out. getting cynical on my side, which is not always the way it goes. But um, we do switch things up. Here's my number one. Don't you want me? You want me, Craigie? As Adam <laughs> just said, so sweetly. The Human League. Don't you want me? Um, no question mark actually on it, but it's clearly a question. It's clearly a, a very, very desperate, pathetic man. And Philip Oakey, who is not a, a desperate, pathetic man, he's just the writer of this song, has talked about it not being a love song. Um, it's very much about um, a better person. Um, it's very jagged and toxic and brilliant because it's such a great piece of writing, conversational. It's a it's a play. It's a short story. It's akin to a lot of the stuff the Pet Shop Boys would have done as well. Obviously, this slightly predated them. I think this was 1981. Um, it was Last Chance Saloon as well, kind of for the Human League. Uh, it was the final track on Dare which was the album that came out after Philip Oakey had to kind of just recruit a whole new band after um, the rest of his band headed off to um, start Heaven 17. So he kind of got two backing singers from a local nightclub, um, one of whom you can hear there, and it just worked brilliantly. Things became more pop. And he nearly buried this song. You know the story, right, about the fact that like he, he always kind of hated Don't You Want Me. He just felt it was too obvious. It was the weakest track on the album. It had been re-recorded at the kind of behest of Virgin Records who wanted slightly smoother production on it. And it works absolutely wonderfully compared to a lot of the brilliant songs elsewhere on that record that kind of sound like they're recorded with like a, a calculator or something. But they, they work because of it. They're wonky and kind of um, post-punky. But this is just something else. Um, he eventually relented. It was like, you can put it on at the end of the album. And then like a few months later, they're like, can we put it out as a single? And he's like, no. And then they said, well, we're going to. And then it was a Christmas number one, I believe. Or maybe it was one of those kind of Christmas runner-ups. Um, no, no, I think it was number one for a good few weeks. Um, huge, huge hit and set them on their way. It is a very kind of Christmassy song as well. The video's great. I remember seeing it as a kid probably around Christmas time when they just start replaying all those kind of smash hits from from around December and just being like... Who are these grown-ups? <laughs> they were maybe one of the first bands that seemed like these people shouldn't be musicians. First of all, they're just like, they're either like very glamorous and in high finance or they're like assassins from like Russia or so. Do you know what I mean? They it's one just, or the other. There's no way it could be anything. There's no in between. In between, yeah. And they seemed quite alien. There was very grown-up stuff going on and it was just intoxicating. It was great. Love it. I can tell you that
Wow, okay. Fifth biggest selling Christmas number one of all time. Thank <laughs> Christmas you. Christmas number one. So, like, so good. As of, as of the 16th of December, You've heard the um, the the edit of this, I assume, have you? Oh yeah, it's again, it's very similar like to another Slade classic thing, yeah, yeah. Christmas song. Or, yeah, hanging you up were working wall. as a waitress in a cocktail bar. A cocktail, cocktail bar. Yeah. You, you, you were, were working. working. Yeah. So good. You were working as a waitress. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's so good. Perfect. Yeah. It's incredible. That's my number one. It's great number one. It's a good list, I must say. I love your list, I have to say. Thanks, man. Back into those songs. Um, a couple of updates. Uh, I believe the Arcade Fire gig that's currently happening is quite full, according ah. to Twitter. Uh, I mentioned the Feist thing, of course. Um, Avril Levine says she's doing a, a film about Skater Boy. I don't know what that means. Lots to talk about next time <laughs> next, on the show. Next time on No Encore. Next time on No Encore. Yeah, um, I don't know what we're doing for Top 5 just next week, guys, because uh, it's only been a few days. Long way off. We'll so. figure something out. Since we were in the studio, Adam's lovely studio, um, a man who doesn't ask us that many questions, probably could ask us more questions, but usually provides all the answers. It is, of course, yes. the amazing Sonic Architect Adam. Boy, did I pull that one out of nowhere. I don't know how. Can someone like like that is the biggest question I think. Yeah, how do I do it? Yeah, the infinite well of <laughs> one-liners. And Dave links. Hanratty in the yeah. infinite well. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, fell apart after the third album, but you know that's that's how these things I go. I heard someone say this week that um, Limp Bizkit's album um, "Chocolate Starfish" and the hot dog flavored water was a parody of "Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness." It may have been. Was it? I mean, it supposedly, like you know. One of the opening tracks is very much a shot at Trent Reznor. Like, there's all the kind of stuff in there, and it's just like, who cares? I mean, Fred, 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 Fred. Fred. The, the most recent Lipisk album isn't terrible. Okay, came out on Halloween, I think, there last year. It's called Still Sucks. <laughs> it's okay. Top five Olympus get next week, everybody. No, no, I wouldn't put Craig through that. How could, eh, well, yeah, I know, I know you. I, I could do a top three. Maybe. I know what your number one would be, Rowland. And together now. Oh, of course. Yeah, I think of that more as a kind of Fred Durst Method, Method Man, Man joint. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is one of the greatest tracks of all time. Will we wrap the show? Can we wrap with... <laughs> I was just listening to End Together now. Uh, we could close on... No, no, no. We'll, we'll play that for another time. Yes. But, um, save it for some, some other time. Right. Listen. Uh, thanks for listening, by the way. I hope the Arcade Fire section wasn't too heavy. Uh, felt worthy of a chat. So yeah. that's what we did. It's patreon.com slash noancore if you want to help support the show. But of course, as noted, uh, times are hard, everybody. So, you know, by all means, you know, make that charity donation elsewhere. We'll be fine. But if you love the show, tell a friend about it, please. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Always good. Back next week. Much love. Stay safe out there. Good night. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.